Hey, everybody, it's Rachel Maddow. Because of the July 4th holiday, we do not have a new episode of Deja News this week, but we do have something brand new that I think you will enjoy. A few years ago, I put out a podcast called Bagman, which was about the last time federal prosecutors ran a criminal investigation into a likely occupant of the White House. In light of what's going on right now in our news, with the Republican frontrunner for president facing multiple criminal indictments, we decided to get the band back together. And we called up, once again, the three federal prosecutors who ran the Bagman investigation, the Vice President Spiro Agnew investigation, back in 1973. We wanted to talk with them about not just what happened 50 years ago and how analogous it is to today, but whether what happened 50 years ago with Agnew can help us make sense of this actually not unprecedented moment that we're living through with the Trump prosecution right now. So without further ado, here now is our special surprise bonus episode of Bagman. I say this to you, that conduct of high individuals in the Department of Justice, particularly the conduct of the chief of the criminal investigation division of that department, is unprofessional and malicious and outrageous. It is my intention to use the courts of this country in an attempt to gain permission to examine under oath these people who are trying to destroy me politically through the abuse of the criminal justice system of the United States. Because of these tactics which have been employed against me, because small and fearful men have been frightened into furnishing evidence against me, they have perjured themselves in many cases, it's my understanding. I will not resign if indicted. I will not resign if indicted. Richard Nixon's vice president, Spiro Agnew. I will not resign if indicted. When Spiro Agnew gave that defiant speech in September 1973, the Nixon administration was just under incredible pressure. The Watergate investigation was in full swing. It was getting worse and worse for President Nixon by the day. And everyone, particularly President Nixon, knew it. The White House was basically in chaos. The president himself, personally, was kind of a mess. The Justice Department was pretty sure at that point that the presidency of Richard Nixon was going to be cut short. That one way or another, Nixon was not likely to make it to the end of that term. But when Vice President Spiro Agnew gave that indignant speech, talking about these people inside the Justice Department who were trying to destroy him, saying he would refuse to resign even if he was indicted, he was not talking about potential charges stemming from the Watergate investigation. What Agnew was talking about was his own thing, his own troubles. He was talking about this. Washington was stunned today by the disclosure that Vice President Agnew is under criminal investigation by federal authorities in his home state of Maryland. While the Watergate investigation was front of mind for the whole country, 
three young federal prosecutors out of Maryland, working under the U.S. attorney in Maryland, they discovered that there was something else criminal going on in the Nixon administration. They discovered that the vice president, Spiro Agnew, was running an active criminal scheme of his own from inside the White House. He was accepting bribes, literal envelopes stuffed full of cash, in exchange for official acts as an elected official. That is why Spiro Agnew was railing against the Justice Department in that speech, because they were daring to investigate him for his illegal extortion and kickback scheme, which he absolutely, in fact, was running from inside the White House. Ultimately, the three young federal prosecutors on that case, they turned up enough evidence to bring dozens of federal criminal charges against Agnew. They wanted him put on trial. They wanted a conviction. They were sure they would get a conviction if they put him on trial. And once they got a conviction, they wanted Agnew to go to prison for what he had done. And that was their job, to be sure, right? Nobody is above the law. But charging someone while they are in the White House, that was a novel concept. It was a complicated prospect. The constitutional problems raised by the Agnew investigation are bewildering. We've never had a problem like this one before. Spiro Agnew was refusing to resign if he was indicted. And with President Richard Nixon likely on his way out because of Watergate, there was a very, very good chance that Spiro Agnew was about to become president. If Agnew ascended to the presidency, what would happen if there was a pending indictment against him? What would happen if he was on trial in that moment? What would happen if he was convicted? Was he going to try to be president from prison? Was he going to try to say, well, now that I'm president, you cannot hold me in prison? The Justice Department ultimately decided that it would be best for the country not to find out the answers to those questions. Spiro T. Agnew became a private citizen today, and less than one hour after his resignation as vice president became official, he was convicted of a criminal charge of tax evasion. Mr. Agnew and the Justice Department had agreed on a bargain. Mr. Agnew resigns as vice president and pleads no contest to one count of income tax evasion. The Justice Department drops all other pending charges. In the end, the Justice Department struck a deal with Spiro Agnew. They made public the evidence of the dozens of crimes they believed that he had committed. But then they let him plead no contest to just a single charge of tax evasion. All those felonies evaporated. Serious prospect of serious prison time. Poof, gone. But in exchange for that, what they made him give up was big. It was a condition of his plea deal that he resign as vice president. And that deal is very much not what those three prosecutors wanted, at least not initially. They had worked so hard to investigate and expose all of Agnew's crimes, they were ready to go to trial. But what the attorney general, Elliot Richardson, believed and what the prosecutors came to agree with was that the interests of justice would best be served if they did this deal. If they, yes, told the world what they believed Agnew had done, but then they got him out of office and made that the priority, thus preventing a national crisis and the potential collapse of our constitutional system of government, with a president trying to run the country from prison 
and a legal system trying to decide if it could keep him there. This whole episode has, of course, been very much overshadowed in history by Watergate, which happened very near to this time. All that drama and what happened to President Nixon and his resignation and his pardon. It's understandable that Agnew has ended up a political trivia question alongside all of that. But a few years ago, we ended up with someone else in the White House who looked like he might conceivably face federal criminal investigation. And suddenly this sort of lost-to-history precedent became really relevant, almost urgently relevant. So in 2018, with producer Mike Yarvitz, I made a seven-part podcast about it, and then we wrote a book about it. And now the Agnew case is kind of back again as we enter into this newest chapter of crime and high-level politics in American history. Because now we've got someone facing federal criminal charges who is, yes, a former president, but he's also a presidential candidate, a leading presidential candidate. At this point, he is the far-and-away frontrunner for the Republican Party's presidential nomination. And the Agnew case really is the closest thing we've got to a precedent of someone in that position facing federal criminal charges from the U.S. Department of Justice. Now, crucially, of course, the defendant today is not a current official like Agnew was. He's a former official. And the Justice Department has decided to go ahead and indict him and put him on trial. It never got to that point with Agnew because they let him agree to that plea deal where he agreed to resign, in effect, in order to make all his charges go away. But the U.S. Justice Department is again facing the same almost unthinkable prospect of a criminal defendant, potentially a jailed felon, ascending to the presidency. We've never had a problem like this one before. The young federal prosecutors who faced the Agnew crisis really were facing something brand new when they contended with this in 1973. But they lived to tell the tale as we now face something very much like this again. In the podcast Bagman, Mike Yarvitz and I spoke to the three prosecutors who investigated Spiro Agnew, who wrestled with the ramifications for the Constitution and the country of putting a potential president behind bars. I have been thinking about these three guys a lot lately, wondering what they think about what's happening in the news right now and if they have any advice for us as we grapple with something sort of like this again. Those three young men are named Tim Baker and Ron Liebman and Barney Skolnick, and all three of them join us now. Hi, you guys. It's good to see you. Hello. Hi, Rachel. Hi. We're also joined by an even younger guy, Mike Yarvitz, my longtime producer and colleague. Mike and I made Bagman together back in 2018. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Hello, Rachel. Hello, guys. Hi, Mike. Mike. Part of what happened with Agnew in terms of that plea bargain was thinking about what he had to trade away. And the biggest thing that he had to trade away was his current office. Um, there was also the specter that he was going to ascend to the presidency if Nixon fell for whatever reason. Um, did you ever consider... As as part of part of those plea negotiations, did was it ever talked about that it would not just be about Agnew re agreeing to resign, but agreeing never to stand for office again? Um, or were you able to just assume that if he was forced out under these circumstances, that he'd never even try to run again? 
Uh, I don't think that ever came up of his running, trying to r- run again. Um, and I think I think if he, we just assume uh, tacitly, I guess, that if uh, he resigned as a part of some kind of plea deal, no matter what the plea, if he resigned, uh, that would end his, uh, basically end his political career. What we we were concerned about was uh, we wanted jail time. Um uh, and uh, we argued long and hard with Elliot Richardson about that, and he ultimately uh, ultimately did persuade us, but it took a lot. I, I, it may be relevant to say one of Richardson's arguments that, that sort of fits in here. Barney was arguing with, um, with Richardson. Barney said, just let us indict him. Just let us indict him. He'll have to resign. And Richardson responded, um, uh, Barney, Supposing he doesn't resign and supposing you guys go to trial. Yes, you have an overwhelming case, but supposing he takes the stand and begins to testify in his own defense. And while he is testifying, word comes that Nixon has dropped dead and he <laughs> is now the president of the United States. Well, that was an that that took us back. That was a that was a real turning point. Can I ask you, though, to to keep going with that thought experiment. He's indicted. He's on trial. He's testifying in his own defense. Word comes down, burbles through the courtroom that Nixon has died or resigned and now Agnew is president. And then what happens? Well, I think I think the point of the argument that pers- persuaded me, at least, I think it was, oh, my God, we can't let that happen. You got to get him out of there. We can't let it happen that he even in the middle of a trial becomes president just can't so it's unthinkable barney if you if you had been if you had been uh questioning the witness at that point or or you know agnews on the stand and and word came down what would you have done (laughs) (laughs) had a heart attack oh what a fun thing to think about um yeah i you know i we were consumed with the thought meeting with the attorney general in July and August and September that Nixon could drop dead tomorrow. And then it's not just that we don't have a case. We don't have a job (laughs) because, you know, the next day, if he's president, you know, you know how politicians always talk about what they'll do on their first day in office. Uh, we knew what I would do on his first day in office and it wasn't pretty. And we were, you know, young, bullheaded and, and competent enough to be able to, uh, calculate, uh, whether or not we were comfortable entertaining that possibility. And the answer, of course, was no. I mean, I, I remember very well that, uh, that was a big part of my own metamorphosis from uh he's got to go to jail to uh how soon can we get his ass in court and have him resign a big part of that was nixon in terms of the analogy and how it fits and how it doesn't um you know if the trump trial does get pushed till after the election it's not nixon dying it's trump getting elected which then affects that same series of events right i mean we know what he would do on his day one in office if elected to a second term uh he'd make the whole thing 
uh, poof as well. He'd probably abolish the Justice Department as we know it. <laughs> Rachel, I'm 82 and conscious of my own mortality, and I do not contemplate um, Trump becoming president again. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. And uh, and I don't want to think about the possibility that it might. If you want to if you want to go down that path, you go down it without me. You know, there's a there's an interesting sort of irony here. Uh, Agnew's criminal problems ended his political career. And uh, it's quite possible that Trump's criminal problems mm. will enhance his political career. Yep. Mm-hmm. But not to the point of his getting elected again. When you guys were um, considering the prosecution of Agnew and preparing uh, potentially to, to put him on trial, um, did you think about, did you talk about the prospect that um, if he was put on trial and he was acquitted, um, that that might be sort of rocket fuel for his um, political future, too? If he was put on trial, he had no chance of being acquitted. We had an overwhelming case. Um, No chance, uh, even with a hostile judge. Hmm. And and we also had a hell of a good team. We weren't just led by Barney Skolnick, who may have been the best prosecutor in the United States, but we also had a fabulous team of IRS agents led by Pete Stortowicz, who's the best IRS agent ever. We interviewed Marty London for the podcast, who was... um one of Spiro Agnew's defense attorneys at the time, who spoke about the impracticalities of trying and convicting a sitting vice president and a man who might soon become president um, to include, does he get Secret Service protection in jail? (laughs) Um, And, you know, if he's convicted and, and sitting in jail and he suddenly becomes president, can he pardon himself from a jail cell? Um, were those considerations top of mind for you at all when it came to, you know, the the resolution of that case? And, um, you know, as it relates to the current moment, how do you assess those possibilities when it comes to the former president who may soon be elected president in the course of this? Um, well, let me take a first crack at it. And uh, my answer is going to be a little bit indirect because um, I'm not worried about the situation. I think the state of our union remains strong. And I think America will survive uh, the Trump era. I have little doubt about it. Um, Yes, there's a a sizable number of people with uh, legitimate grievances who uh, unfortunately find uh, Trump appealing uh, and and buy into all the nonsense and the lies. But Fundamentally, in my opinion, this country, uh, the overwhelming majority are decent, uh, law-abiding people who, uh, who tend to do the right thing, and they tend to do the right thing when they're on juries. Yes, there could always be a hung jury, and it's a risk in this case particularly, who lies about jury service, uh, who says all the right things to be impaneled, but who really secretly wants to acquit the defendant. And a risk of a, of a hung jury here, I think, is uh, is a real risk. The indictment is um, very strong. Um, I think the case is very, very strong, and I think it's quite likely if this case goes to trial, he will be convicted. 
Uh, but whether he is or whether he isn't, and with all these moving parts, more indictments to come, uh, Trump's behavior, yada, 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 uh, I'm not worried. I think America will survive this. Um, and I feel that uh, I, I feel that in my bones. And does he take the Secret Service to prison? Yeah, well, you know, uh, they probably won't be allowed to be in the cell with him. <laughs> But they can hang out outside and maybe, you know, he can get some chewing gum from them or whatever. But uh, yeah, maybe. We're talking with Tim Baker, Barney Skolnick, Ron Liebman, the federal prosecutors who brought charges against Vice President Agnew in 1973. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, everyone, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening? We're back with another installment of our special series with Pod 2024, The Stakes. I'm talking to experts about both Joe Biden and Donald Trump's records on specific policy areas during their time as president. This week, a biggie. AbortionEveryday.com founder Jess Valenti on the stakes of reproductive rights. Conservatives, Republicans would like us to believe that this is something that voters are sort of super polarized on, that we're evenly split down the middle. And that's just not true. Voters want abortion to be legal, even in red states, even in purple states. That's why we're seeing attacks on democracy. That's this week on Why Is This Happening? Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and follow. I'm Rachel Maddow. I'm here with producer Mike Yarvitz, and our guests are Tim Baker, Barney Skolnick, and Ron Liebman. They were the three young federal prosecutors who spearheaded the federal criminal investigation of a man who was then the sitting vice president of the United States, Spiro Agnew. Just broadly speaking, what's been your reaction to federal criminal charges being filed against Trump, both as a former president, but also as a presidential candidate, as a sort of, I think at this point, fair to say, a likely Republican Party presidential nominee. When you found out that he was actually indicted, that they were going ahead with charges, how did you how did you react or how have you felt about it since then? Well, I, I certainly wasn't surprised. I think uh, we've all been expecting um, multiple indictments for a long time. And like so many other people, we've been concerned that it took so long for the Department of Justice to get off its ass. Um, so it was no surprise and will continue to be none as both Georgia and the January 6th investigation lead to indictments. Um, my primary reaction is and has been for months to be anxious and worried about our country because he has the skill of a fascist to genuinely attract people with uh, grievances and anger at their lives not being the way they want them to be. And that's, that's what fascists have done through history. Um, the phrase, I am your retribution, is to me terrifying. What's going on in this country with fully a third of the people of this country thinking that he is... Um, not just the right guy to have been president, but the right guy to be president again. That to me is terrifying. Um, even when he's gone, a third of the country will probably still be looking for somebody 
who can persuade them that he is their retribution. And uh, the thought that, that I will die with our country in that kind of shape is, uh, you know, the phrase, what keeps you up at night, that, that's, that's what keeps me up at night. Hmm. Do you, given the kind of power that you're describing him having um, and the way his power works, the kind of grip on people that you're describing, do you think that f- having federal charges pending against him is a, a risk to the legal system, a risk to the constitutional order, or do you think it's the opposite? Well, there is certainly a risk, but I don't see that the country has any viable alternative. Tim, what was your reaction, um, or what's been your reaction over time as we've um, seen these indictments of Trump? No uh, Department of Justice worthy of its name uh, could have failed to bring these charges. Those charges had to be brought, and yet they scare the hell out of me. Um, I am terrified that he somehow could be acquitted um, in the Southern District of uh, Florida. I'm very suspicious of uh, that judge who was so tilted in Trump's favor back when the uh, issues around the grand jury subpoena were being litigated and who was the the 11th Circuit just tromped on her. But... um, Trying a case in front of a judge who's against you, um, those of us who've had the pleasure, it, it is hell. And a, and a judge who's against you in lots of ways that are not reversible um, error can can ruin your case. And if Trump is acquitted, um, I think that'll probably elect him president again. Um, and for all the reasons Barney talked about, that is a terrifying prospect. Um for our country, for my children and my grandchildren. Um, uh, so I, I think the overwhelming uh, thing that comes to mind, the overwhelming issue is the effect of this and other cases on the 2024 presidential election. Now, I have no idea what the effect is going to be. This hasn't played out, but it could play out very, very badly. If Trump is um, in the classified documents case, facing a legal situation in which things don't look good for him. The judge is letting the case proceed in a way that is fair and sort of straight down the middle, and the evidence is holding up and looks as strong in the courtroom as it does in the indictment. If it's all looking bad for Trump, and he conceivably is facing both conviction and a, and a prison sentence, should the Justice Department offer him a plea deal that includes trading away the threat of jail time for him agreeing to never stand for public office again. Ron should answer that as brilliantly as he answered it on your program the other night. (laughs) And then I'll ask you both to agree with him. (laughs) The answer is no. I mean, even if it's Trump rather than the Justice Department that comes up with the notion that foregoing a political career should be part of a plea deal. And even if it's documented and put in writing in black and white, uh, Trump will tell his people, you know, you see what they did to me? It was their idea. They wanted me not to run for office. Well, I had to take the deal because I had to be here available to do your bidding. And I'm here, even though I'm no longer in public office, I'm here and I'm your guy. 
So my answer is and has been emphatically no. Why didn't Agnew try that against you guys? Uh, Agnew, uh, Agnew was a crook uh, and a bad guy. But comparing his uh, behavior and his mindset to Trump is like uh, comparing, I don't know, an astronaut to a six-year-old child. It just doesn't compute for yeah, there's I totally agree with Ron's simple conclusion that the answer is no, there should be no such deal. What Trump has going for him with regard to any deal is that he is a Republican being prosecuted under a Democratic administration. And all the, all the, you know, uh, weaponization and other similar crap that he and his apologists can make out of that. Agnew didn't have that because Agnew had a Republican admitted he was a Republican being prosecuted by a Republican president, a Republican Department of Justice and a Republican attorney general. So, you know, that that line about, uh, you know, politicalization and weaponization and so on, that just wasn't available to Agnew and therefore was it was never a consideration. Whereas for the reasons Ron has articulated, it's not just a consideration it's a very powerful, again, for the third of the country that buys this stuff, it's a very powerful argument, regardless of what the deal says and whether it's in writing and whether it has a seal on it. You know, he will, he will say he was forced to do it uh, by the bad guys and he's, he's back to be your retribution. So I, I totally agree with Ron. It would only confirm, um, the belief that this prosecution is was brought politically by a Democratic administration to knock uh, Trump out as a as Biden's opponent in 2024. Um, Agnew did try. Uh, he had a Republican administration, a Republican attorney general, a Republican U.S. attorney. But the, the three of us were all Democrats and he did try and go after us. He went after Barney because he'd worked for Muskie in the, in the, in the primaries. And he went after me because shield your children from this because he thought I was a real pinko because I'd been a Peace Corps volunteer. Ah, no. We have to end this you right know, now. I, I, I remember. <laughs> Us being in the car with George Bell going to Washington when he said to us, you know, guys, I never asked you, are you registered Republicans or Democrats? <laughs> did you tell him? And what did you say? Yeah, yeah, we told him. <laughs> he didn't care. We have much more to get to in this special episode of Bagman. Stay with us. Happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by the Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. 
When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com app. Welcome back to our special bonus episode of the Bagman podcast. I'm Rachel Maddow. I'm here with producer Mike Yarvitz and our guests, former federal prosecutors Tim Baker, Barney Skolnick, and Ron Liebman, the three young federal prosecutors who prepared federal criminal charges against then-Vice President Spiro Agnew. So we're going to be posting this on July 3rd, which I believe is the 50-year anniversary to the day of a scene that we described in Bagman, which has stuck with me ever since, which was you guys crammed into George Bell's um, Audi 100, (laughs) driving from Baltimore (laughs) to Washington, D.C., to go meet with Attorney General Elliot Richardson for the first time to brief him in person on what was going on with the Agnew investigation. And there was a lot of drama to the way we told that in the podcast because I think you guys got pulled over. Like there was, I mean, there was at least anxiety on your part in terms of what the attorney general was going to think. I was wondering on 50 years since that day, if you guys um, could tell us at all what that was, what that was like when you were going to bring your investigation and what you knew to the top of the Justice Department, essentially for them to decide what they were going to do with it. Well, first of all, we were told not to come. The attorney general's secretary called us that morning. I think this is the third or fourth time that our proposed meeting with Attorney General Richardson had been canceled. And we were it was canceled once again. And we all decided we got in George's car and we came. We went over to Washington and 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 sat in his waiting room anyway, even though we were told not to be there. <laughs> and Tim, I believe it was you who, you know, after you did finally get into the attorney general's conference room and he you know, had to step out for various calls. <laughs> Ultimately, it was you who George Bell turned to, I think, to to explain what exactly you were there for. Is that right? Yes. In a lot of ways, our principal concern was that uh, the Department of Justice would take our case away from us. And so the first order of business was to for George to establish our credibility, that we, in fact, knew what we were doing. We had uh, credentials. We had experience. So George started out with that, and then Richardson would immediate would get a note from his secretary, get up and leave, and was gone for what, guys, twenty minutes at one point, and we we just thought he'd never come back, and we never even got to tell, even mention the word Agnew. So, um, so then he then Barney and Ron remember that uh, he he finally came back, and we had said to George, get the get the Agnew. So that's what George blurted out, and we immediately had uh, Attorney General Richardson's total attention. How old were all of you at the time? I was the baby. I was twenty nine. I was thirty two, the oldest, and I was thirty one. Thirty two, the oldest. <laughs> Ron, can you talk about the? months that preceded you guys walking into the Justice Department, um, you at 29 years old were uh, involved in some pretty heavy stuff for the country and the, and the fate of the presidency. Um, what was it like as a 29-year-old investigating the vice president? Well, one of the wonderful aspects of youth is 
you don't really realize when you're young that there's something else beside it. So uh, I really didn't think about that. You know, we were three assistant U.S. attorneys with a, a case that grew from looking into bribery for zoning for land in Maryland to the vice president of the United States. And uh, we, none of us, I think, really thought about our age at all. Uh, it was a job we had to do. We did it. Um, and our concern was that having built this case, that uh, that the Justice Department would would not let three Baltimore federal prosecutors run with it. That was what was in our head. I know from from talking to you guys and from the interviews that we did for Bagman that you guys all hold George Bell, your former boss, the U.S. attorney, in really high esteem uh, in general and in terms of how he um, supervised your work and the way that he um, sort of served as a little bit of a heat shield for you guys during the Agnew investigation. Obviously, George Bell is no longer with us, but this is a little bit unfair. I wonder what you what you think that he would think of today's Republican Party and the Trump phenomenon. Um, you know, George Bell was sort of Republican royalty from Maryland. I, I think he would be appalled, absolutely appalled. Yeah, as as many Republicans are. George Bell and Elliot Richardson were both in and or intending to be active in Republican politics. I have always thought that the heroes of the case are those two guys who had a great deal at stake and they and they took the right path which which was at least potentially and I think probably in fact especially as to George a a you know a, a sacrifice because he was never heard in elective politics um for the rest of his life which you know went on for almost 50 years he died just a few years ago Arnie, I don't think George ever wanted to go into electoral politics, but he certainly looked forward to a career of, of Republican appointments to higher and higher offices. And he knew perfectly well that his chances of that happening would come to an end because of Agnew. And it, that's exactly what did happen to Elliot Richardson. He never again held the high kind of political office in Republican administrations. He got the throwaway jobs. And that was be all because of Agnew, the part of the Republican Party that never forgave him. And he knew it, and George knew it, and they didn't blink. Think how fortunate Barney, Timmy, and I were to report to both George Bell and Elliot Richardson. Absolutely. I wonder what will happen to those Republicans who are speaking up against Trump now, uh, Romney. Uh, William Barr, uh, uh, Trump's attorney general, has ridiculed Trump's posed defense to these documents charges. And Chris Christie is all over him um, about all kinds of things. And we'll see who joins them on this. Well, a lot more Republicans need to do it. Mm. You guys were describing how Elliot Richardson and, and George Bell, your bosses, took a much bigger risk than you did as individuals. But you did get singled out and attacked by the vice president. And uh, he sort of tried to train the ire of his supporters against you guys for being Democrats, for somehow being biased and trying to take him out. 
Was that a cause of stress for you in the moment? And do you reflect it all in terms of the prosecutors, people like Jack Smith, who are getting so much criticism from defendant Trump right now? Do you have any advice for them? Well, Ron put it well a couple of weeks ago when he said, you put your head down and you ignore the noise. Um, I think that's exactly right. And I'm sure that's exactly what uh, Jack Smith is doing. You know, the the the, the threat of, of violence is the thing that you can't not be aware of, but, you know, the, the the prosecutors are not in the position to do anything directly about that. They have to rely on the security organizations and so on. But I, I, I seriously doubt that Jack Smith or any of the other prosecutors are worried about being personally attacked verbally. Jack Smith, from what I've seen on TV, has, you know, has real armed security with him because the times are different and um you know it's he needs it uh in 1973 uh, we didn't uh, we you know we just didn't you you didn't have a secret service uh, guard on you all the uh, run we must have forgotten that what <laughs> you guys had it and i did well, you now you junior. tell me we thought nobody's going to attack you that's right. They, 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 they only they only had two agents that could spare. Um, yeah. Now you tell me, Jesus. It's like running from a bear. You don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than Ron. <laughs> That's right. Rachel, one of the things we've talked about a little bit in the years since, but never even thought about at the time, which uh, supposing. Uh, the Saturday night massacre, which in which Elliot Richardson lost his job, supposing that had occurred 10 days before the plea deal was struck rather than 10 days afterwards. So suddenly our protector and our hero uh, um, is gone. And supposing Nixon puts in a new John Mitchell who says to us very politely, well, of course, he has to <laughs> review the case and then. Just send everything over and I'll look at it and days go by, weeks go by, months go by. And every time we inquire, we're kind of put off. Supposing we decided to go ahead and bring an indictment anyway. Of course, we, you know, that would have been an unauthorized indictment, but it would have, we would have said that they're covering it up over there and we're not going to let that happen. The grand jury agrees. So here's a, here's a, a, a an unauthorized indictment. Do your worst. And that would have been our last yeah. official act. You bet. We'd have been fired that day and probably disbarred. Timmy, I love when you talk dirty. <laughs> yes. Well, that would have been exciting. Um, Very exciting. That's one way to put it. Yep. Yep. What would a judge do with an unauthorized indictment? I'm just trying to imagine being the Throw judge in that circumstance, saying this is just for you three guys as citizens. It's a citizen. No, no, the grand jury. Grand jury would have returned it, but it wouldn't have been signed as federal indictments have to be. It wouldn't have been signed by an authorized representative of the Department of Justice. The purpose of it would have been, you know, like a gigantic press release. Um, and the press conference would have said, this is the Nixon administration doing it all over again. They're covering it up. Imagine the firestorm. And then we would have gone home to our spouses and said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. <laughs> would George Bell have signed that indictment? Would he have been considered an authorized representative of the Justice Department? No, he wouldn't. He was not authorized. And I don't think we would have included him just out of respect yeah. and not asking yeah. him to go along. 
he would have been as surprised as everybody else and probably just as mad. But what what else could we have done? I feel a little bit like this time in history is um, is this moment that's training us to to push ourselves further and further into the uh, <laughs> into the what if territory, because all the things that were previously unthinkable just keep happening. Um, all the things that seemed like, oh, that would pose a constitutional crisis. And then who knows what would happen? We're now in the who knows what would happen a uh, bit of territory. It seems like over and over again, a lot during the Trump presidency, but a lot right now with these prosecutions and with this 2024 campaign, I guess as just kind of a a, a closing discussion here, I think a lot of Americans right now can see that we are in what if territory, see that we are in what feels like unprecedented territory or at least potential crisis territory. And it can feel scary. Um it can feel worrying or confusing. It can make you want to withdraw and not pay attention because it feels overwhelming. If you think there's a prospect for a, you know, a civil war or some other terrible eventuality that you never thought you'd have to face in your life and that now seems possible, um, it can be upsetting or enervating. And, and I wonder if you have anything to say. Having been through a crisis of your own um, that you guys were intimately involved in and part of the decision makers about, I just wonder if you have any thoughts for people, anything you'd share with them about those kind of kind of being involved in a big thing for your country where you really don't know how it's going to end. Well, we sort of addressed this earlier uh, in this discussion. Um, you know, on the one hand, uh, this could destroy our country and our democracy. Uh, the rabble, the crowds could overtake the government. Uh, on the other hand, as I indicated, I believe, I think this is... Uh, Another crisis. It's a major crisis. A lot of moving parts. A lot of things unanticipated are going to happen. Uh, but I think, uh, I, I, I think, and I believe that the country gets through this. Trump will be uh, remembered in history unkindly, as, uh, as as he should, and then we'll be on to the next crisis. Timmy Barney, what do you guys think? I don't disagree with the proposition that we'll get through this as a country. Um, but I do, I do really worry about, uh, what happens to the country after Trump is gone, but there are still something like a third of the country, um, uh, looking for the next fella who, who says, give me power and I will fix your problems. Um, I mean, to the extent that that's a siren song that works and has worked throughout history, um, it doesn't, it doesn't so stop singing to some people just because Trump personally is gone. Um, and that, that continues for me to be a, a real concern. I am not as sanguine as you all are that, uh, Trump, uh, cannot and will not win the 2024 election and become president again. Um, I think he's got a shot at it. Um, I don't underestimate it at all. And the consequences of that will be a, a disaster for our country. Um, I really worry about it. And now, Tim, here's the part where you say, but here's the reason why you shouldn't despair. Yeah, over to you, Tim. <laughs> if he becomes president again, I despair. <laughs> oh, great. It's not like the Agnew case um, 
establish some kind of standing DOJ policy that a sitting president can't be indicted? Well, you know, the question is, what if uh, a man is elected president who has been indicted, who has been convicted? Well, nobody knows the answer to that. I know that you guys think that George Bell and um, and Elliot Richardson were the real heroes, but you guys did both very good work and um, had some heroics of your own. I also feel like the Agnew story is understandably overshadowed by what happened in Watergate, but I think it's an important part of how we should think about the Justice Department contending with the rule of law versus political power. We are very lucky as a country that you guys at the nucleus of that story, comported yourself with such skill and such dignity. Um, because if you were jerks or if you'd made a bunch of mistakes, it would be harder to tell that story. But because you did it right. And again, you comported yourself with such professionalism and dignity um, in, in a way that really stands up to, to history. We get to tell that history in a way that is unapologetic and I think still really illuminating. And it keeps coming up as newly relevant. So... I'm just happy that you guys are willing to talk to me and Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Tim Baker, Ron Liebman, Barney Skolnick. um, It is an honor to talk to you guys. All right, fellas. Thank you. So that's going to do it for us on this special bonus episode of Bagman. Bagman is a production of MSNBC and NBC News. It's executive produced by myself and Mike Yarvitz. This episode was written and produced by Kelsey Desiderio. Our associate producer is Jamaris Perez. Sound design by Cedric Wilson. Our technical director is Bryson Barnes. Our senior executive producers are Corey Nazo and Laura Conaway. Our web producer is Will Femia. And you can read more about the investigation into Spiro Agnew. You can listen to all seven episodes of Bagman at our website, msnbc.com slash Bagman. I'm just sick about it. I think he's a man of his word, and I think they've all been doing the same thing for ever since I started voting, and I think it's just too bad. I think he's a great man. I thought he was one of the greatest men that this country has ever had. What is your reaction to the resignation? I think it's a sad thing. I think it was very unnecessary. I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm just sick. I'm very unhappy. I don't think it was necessary. I think it's a lot of political hogwash, and I'm, oh. Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more.